the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny J One Match Day Thirty Two. It will live in infamy, I think, for uh, many years to come for supporters of uh, many different clubs. It uh, had the lot from uh, top to bottom of the league and, well, especially at the top, as we're going to come on to uh, at the beginning of the episode. How are you this week? Oh, hi, Ben. Yes, it's a bit cooler here. I think autumn has come, come to Japan, but yeah, in, the, in J1 round, round 32, honestly, I was a bit, a bit worried when I saw the first couple of results come in, but as you say, it, it did not fail to deliver, especially on, on Sunday afternoon. We had we had quite the Chaos Energy J-League finish uh, at Saitama Stadium. So looking forward to talking about that and, and talking about all the games. Uh, how about yourself? How, how are you getting on? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, yeah, ready to jump into it. We will be joined later on in the episode by John Steele. A bit of a crossing of the JTalk streams here as uh, yeah, John joins us to chat about Yokohama FC and the possibility of them making a great escape at the end of the top flight season. And, uh, well, yeah, Johnny, I, th- I thought we had our rundown uh, pretty much covered after the events of Saturday with uh, all three of our major dogfighters picking up points. And, uh, yeah, on on Sunday, Yokohama F. Marino's enjoying a, a very comfortable 2-0 win at home. And Kobe away at Reds. Uh, their game entered second half stoppage time with Vissel leading. So it looked like... Uh, we could uh, afford to lead off with the, the dogfighters on this week, uh, uh, this week's episode, but then uh, all hell broke loose uh, in second half stoppage time at Saitama Stadium. And as I said in the intro, uh, this will uh, live on in infamy for uh, many years to come. I think. Yeah, absolutely amazing stuff. The, you know, the, the first half was was very cagey, it was very tight. I mean, I'll be honest, because the Marinos game over overlapped with that, and I'm not I'm not Sam. I'm not really used to to watching two games at the same time. And and honestly, a bright blue shirt facing a bright pink shirt kind of caught my attention more than than V-Cell's white and black. But the, the second half really really sparked sparked into life. Uh, I really like V-Cell's pressing and, and their energy, but. I think, think Reds are very hard to break down, even with Schultz was moved out to, to fullback and Iwanami came in next to Hoibratton. It wasn't wasn't the most uh, convincing of performances, but they, they still held firm. And then, yeah, get, getting themselves in front with, with my, uh, Tuller's header late on. And, you know, it, with hindsight, it would be easy to say it was inevitable. It, it wasn't an inevitable goal. You could have seen a goal coming at, at either end or, or frankly, a nil-nil wouldn't have surprised at that point. But, yeah. But from that point on, all, all hell kind of broke, broke loose. Uh, I think scores are like Reds really had to go for it, and you know they, they kept Kante up front. They, they brought Linson on him, and Nakajima came on. They were they were behind Kante, and then they had Takahashi in the left, Okubo in the right, and, and Shibato holding. And you know honestly, at times it felt a bit like you know they just picked everything out of the fridge and thrown it into a bowl and hoped for the for the best. But other times, you know, Nakajima was rolling back the years. I think he did a lovely, lovely cross for, for Okubo to volley and Maikawa just, just saved it. And then, yeah, he, you think it's it is, is game over. Visa were just holding. They brought Jean-Patrick on. They're going to hold out, just play it up for him to, to waste time. And then Kante out jumps, out jumps Eno. Like I wrote in my notes, but Bulldozer, he just barrels towards towards goal, get, gets a break of the ball a couple of times. But I think he, he wants it more. Especially in the the challenge with with uh, Ogihara, um, he wanted it more, and then he's such a good finisher, isn't he? He, he buries it in the, the bottom corner, and you've got 
think it was five or six minutes of it, additional time initially given. That's the 90, 91st minute, and yeah, it's really, really game on. And then I think what, what we're going to talk about the, the the main talking point, the the free kick for for Reds with about 90 seconds to two minutes to to go of, of normal time. And you know, listeners will have to to bear with me because. What I thought at the time, I did think it was very surprising that Nishikawa went up that early. Uh, A, because the, the free kick was not in necessarily in the most dangerous of areas. B, because, uh, as I said, you know there's, there was time on the clock, plenty of time for a counter-attack. And C, because it was 1-1. So, so Vissel, you know would go for the counter-attack, which they, they, they eventually did. But you know, even I couldn't, couldn't predict the, 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 the drama, the, the controversy that was about to erupt. Yeah, that's very well surmised there, Johnny. And it's really important that we give uh, Kante his due for a uh, terrific goal in the 91st minute. And, yeah, I mean, it's the stuff of nightmares for Nanaseino, isn't it? If that game had have finished uh, 1-1, then, I mean, yeah, as you said, a lot of things had to go right for Kante with uh, him uh, barreling in from the, the left-hand touchline, as you said. But, yeah, Eno getting caught under that ball when it would have just been easier for him to, to head it out for a Reds throw. And, yeah, that... Uh, kind of uh, that microscopic error le- leading to uh, a Reds goal, you know, 10 seconds or so later. And it's an absolutely tremendous finish from, from Kante, basically the only place he can put it uh, inside Maikawa's right-hand post. And it's uh, an absolutely superb strike. But yeah, I mean, that would have, uh, that would have weighed on Eno's mind for, uh, well, for, for a couple of weeks until Kobe had a chance to put things right in, in match day 33, I imagine. But Yes, this uh, this decision from uh, Shusaku Nishikawa, where um, I think it's been well established now that he's overruled the uh, the wishes of his manager, Maciej Scorger. And yes, with uh, at least a minute left of uh, what was posted in added time uh, for, for Nishikawa to go up for this free kick is, uh, well, uh, Scorger himself in his post-match to zone uh, interview called it a very risky choice by uh, Shu by Shusaku Nishikawa and he said basically it's cost uh, well it's allowed our opponent to win the game uh, Scorger and that's um, as as direct a quote as I can remember him saying um, after straight after the game when he was basically shell-shocked and completely understandably so so the the decision itself to go up Johnny, it's um, it, it's a the, the third to last league game. Reds have a microscopic chance, but still mathematical chance to win J1 if they win this game against Kobe, and then everything breaks right for them in, in the final two match days. So Nishikawa has worked this out in his head that they have to win this game uh, to keep their even the slimmest of slim chances of winning the league alive. And, uh, I mean, uh, can you see where he's coming from? Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a hugely risky decision that has come back to bite him well and truly uh, and literally uh, on the backside. But, um, yeah, as he's, uh, as he's made this decision, as he's jogged up the pitch, um, yeah, I mean, w- with his manager telling him not to do it, it's, um, it's just a massive, massive risk, isn't it? Yeah, at, at the time, I probably didn't think so. Speaking to you on, on Monday night, I, I, I can definitely see where, where he's coming from. And uh, at the time, it was it was like a car crash. You, just, you, you could see what was going to happen, and it just happened in, in slow motion. And that, that's me watching as a, as a neutral, so I can only imagine what it was like for the, the Reds fans and, and the VCO fans watching. I think the only maybe slight issue I would have is what you said about overruling the coach, because 
I know that there's strong rumours and it's even been in Sponichi's. I think there's definitely something behind it that, that Scores is going to step down for, for various reasons at, at the end of the season. So it, in the aftermath, that's not a great look, but experienced player who often captains the side, kind of overruling the coach. But I, I definitely see where he's coming from because, you know, looking at the league table, a draw was as good as a defeat for, for Reds yesterday because it was the final game. They were well aware. I think everyone from fourth to seventh, none of those teams won. So, I mean, it was basically a difference. You know, Reds are still two points ahead of Hiroshima. If they'd drawn the game, they would have been three points ahead of Hiroshima. It doesn't make a, a ton of difference. They're playing in front of their fans. They've got the, the passionate support behind the goal. I'm sure Nishikawa wanted to go up. He, he probably saw his, his, his mate Langerak the, the previous day going up and almost scoring a header. So he mm. probably fancied his chances. And yeah, ultimately, maybe it looks short term, it looks bad for Reds, but it, it really more affected Vissel and, and Marinos. Uh, other than, than Reds, I, I don't think no one likes to lose games, especially in that manner. But yeah, I understand wh- wh- where he's coming from. He, he'll want to win a, a J1 title before he retires. He, he doesn't have too many more years left. So. Other than the overruling the coach and potentially undermining the coach, uh, I, I don't really have any any particular issue with with what he did. How about yourself? Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess so. It's just, uh, I mean, when you look in the cold light of day at, at the bigger picture, yeah, what it what it means for the the title race as a whole. I mean, if if this wasn't a game against Kobe, who are um, obviously back two points clear at the top of the table after what transpired after Nishikawa went to, went up to the other end of the pitch to try and, uh, I guess, be a hero and score um, score the goal that kept Reds in the title race. If it was a, a, a game against basically any other opponent, then, OK, you admire his um, desire to to keep his team in in the title race, even though, as we've said, the uh, the prospects of the Maxley going ahead and doing it were extremely slim. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can understand there's a lot of frustration amongst the F Marino support. And, I mean, well, th- as we're going to come on to, uh, we, we've talked about how this will, will live on in infamy. It's not just because uh, Nishikawa went up to the other end of the pitch. It's because it, it appears a, a massive officiating mistake has, has occurred and... Uh, that could lead to, to Kobe winning the title, and that's uh, obviously ruffled a, a lot of feathers, and uh, and very much rightly so. So Nishikawa goes up, uh, the the free kick is uh, sent into the box, and it must be said that Daya Maikawa makes an initial and extremely positive decision to to go and claim uh, the, uh, the the ball to, to to catch it. He basically takes it off Nishikawa's head. Nishikawa almost makes contact, but uh, Maikawa is positive. He's on the front foot and he doesn't leave it to his defenders. He goes and claims uh, the uh, the cross himself. As Johnny said, it wasn't in the most dangerous of areas, so Maikawa's had plenty of time to see it and weigh up his options and decide that, yes, coming to claim is the, is the right one. But then he sees Yuya Osako stationed around the halfway line and with the, obviously with the, the opposing goalkeeper in his uh, in his box he knows that if he's uh, spot on with his kick up the pitch then uh, Osako uh, and whichever of his teammates join him uh, on uh, on this counter attack that he's about to instigate will have a uh, a terrific chance of giving Kobe uh, their second goal of the game and thus uh, the victory that keeps them uh, or puts them back two points ahead of F Marinos in the title race. The, uh, the the big controversy, Johnny, is whether Osako manages to hold his run uh, inside the halfway line before Maikawa 
connects with his kick, um, which must be said is an absolutely phenomenal arrowed ball right um, where Osaka would want it. But um, I think there are enough little videos doing the round on uh, X slash Twitter to suggest that Osako, in his excitement, was unable to hold his run and with only one defender um, between him and the goal. Uh, therefore, uh, VAR should have uh, disallowed this goal for offside. Uh, have you seen anything to, um, I guess, disprove that theory that uh, is, uh, well, is basically um, appears to be the the opinion of, of record at the moment that um uh, yeah, as I said, there's enough video doing the rounds to, to suggest that this uh, this should have been looked at, or if it wasn't looked at in the correct manner, then um, this result has uh, has occurred and um, is is basically wrong. Mm, the, the, this is where you're in the, the the big bucks, you know. I, watching it live, I think Osako looks slightly sheepish when he puts it in, and then I think that the, the zone commentator actually said, uh, "I believe if my Japanese is okay, Kano say means the possibilities. Is that the possibility is it's offside?" But you know, they, they didn't seem to review it for an awful long time, and they they, they gave the goal again. Watching watching on TV, it, it did look in the replay like there wasn't a clear replay, but it looked like he was. Having watched a lot of football, he'd be probably offside. And then, like you said on on, on Twitter, there's been a lot lot of videos. There was one I was watching. I was trying to, I was trying to pause it and take screenshots. And each one, it does uh, as you say. It, it looks like Osako is, is trying to hold the halfway line, but he can't. He's like he can't, and he steps forward to just just too much. And yeah, I don't know if, if people forgotten the, the rule that if the goalkeeper is up, then the, the last outfield player is essentially the goalkeeper. Because he, the, the thing that, that kind of took me aback was what while Osako looked sheepish, I think it's uh, the Ohata and Okubo, the two Reds players closest, neither of them complain. They just accept oh, it's, it's a goal. Scores didn't really complain at the time. And mm. you know, unfortunately, I think in Japan, as I think we mentioned a few a, a couple of weeks ago, was at the, the Fukuoka-Kawasaki game and there was also Gamba Nagoya. There seemed to be incidents where I think if Fukuoka or Gamba had actually properly challenged the referee, it would have been looked at and quite possibly overturned. And again, unfortunately, no no Reds players could complain, so it's not overturned. And you know, I, I definitely don't want to see a sort of you know the, that famous image of like Roy Keane at Manchester United, the vein popping out his head and players surrounding the ref. We definitely don't want that. But in a sense, decisions like this are are creating a situation where players are going to have to feel the need to 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 challenge decisions like that, or else, you know, the, the, the kind of culture in Japan, from my perspective, is kind of to, if you can just kind of avoid talking about it, then do so. But, you know, it's, it's happened in such a big event, at such a big stage. I, I think that the J-League are going to need to come out with, with some kind of statement. You know, there's we don't know what we're talking here. We, we don't know what happened, what communication if any was there between VAR and the referee what why was it not reviewed goals are meant to be reviewed you'd think a goal of this magnitude in a game of this size that affects the league 50,000 people in the stadium hundreds of thousands watching at home people watching around the world you know we need answers don't don't we Ben Mm. yeah exactly I mean um as you say, Japan and uh, well, especially the, the J League is uh, is not known for uh, dealing well with uh, with controversy and, and controversial incidents. Um, I, I think a huge uh, telltale sign will be if this is a, um, addressed on the judge replay show on the uh, DAZN this week. Um, we know that they are 
selective in things that they choose and oftentimes a uh, um, a really contentious one like you know the Mitsuki Saito horror injury wasn't dealt with but I think we could understand that because we didn't need to see 28 replays of um, basically a, a player uh, getting his leg destroyed uh, even though the, the the decision by the referee and the VAR was especially erroneous and um, yeah, I mean, that that is one that you can understand why it hasn't been addressed. But this one, if it's swept under the carpet, then it's, well, again, it's just a, um, another indication of a real shortcoming, I think, in the, in the, the way uh, the league allows itself to be covered. And, you know, we expect, we would expect that if there, uh, if there has been a mistake made, then it has to be addressed and, um, you know, an apology won't do anything for F Marino's supporters if their team ends up losing the league by uh, a point or two, or even on goal difference. But um, yeah, if 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 it is um, if it is not addressed, then that's uh, I think it's a real black mark uh, against the league. I mean, the 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 kick by Mikawa, the control by Osako, and the the forty yard finish uh, that arced over uh, Ayuma Ohata and into the net before. Uh, Tomoaki Okubo could, to, um, you know, dash back and, and try frantically to, to clear. It, it's all absolutely yeah, it's brilliant. And if if it only if it could have been legal and with no kind of, um, you know, black marks against it, then, you know, Kobe um, would be able to. Well, of course, they're celebrating this because uh, in, in uh, respect in inverted commas, they've gotten away with it. But um, you, you just wish that it could have you know, gone perfectly without this, um, this controversy attached. And, um, you know, in five years time, if Kobe win the league, will we still talk about this? And we, will we still say if they win the league that it's got an asterisk against it? Well, I I don't know, but maybe we, uh, we will, you know, let that water go under the bridge. But uh, for now, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hugely controversial and I've reached out to, to Ralph Seidel, uh, via text tonight. I mean, we obviously weren't going to have uh, Ralph come on and you know try and uh, talk us through his emotions uh, on on what happened on, on Sunday because it's been a really difficult week for Reds losing the Levain Cup final, then yeah, seeing automatic qualification for the uh, the ACL knockout stage taken out of their hands in South Korea, and then um, yeah, they've uh, they've lost this game in such uh, such huss. Uh, harsh circumstances, and again, with as Ralph says, a, a lot of supporters very angry about uh, yet another refereeing error going against Reds. So, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything we can add, Johnny. It's um, as I said for for me personally, if if it could have just all gone um, perfectly, if Osako had have held his run for uh, yeah for just another split second, then uh, I mean he. he uh, yeah, it would it would have all worked out perfectly for Kobe, and obviously it would still be a huge uh, sucker punch for for Reds to take, and um, you know a difficult one for for Nishikawa to live down. But uh, yeah, I, I think we'll we'll wait and see what happens in midweek with the the, the judge replay show. Yeah, I think I caught something on, on the zone just before we started, and it seemed to suggest that we're going to be discussing something from the the, the Reds' visa game. It, it would have to be that you, you would think, but. 
yeah, as, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a kind of crushing end to, to what's been a pretty pretty miserable week for, for Reds, and also they they lost Atsuki Ito to injury in the in the middle of the game, and he's out of the Japan squad too. So they've still got their ACL, a couple of ACL games to go, and then they've still got Fukuoka and, and Sapporo, so they'll be hoping to, to round out with a, a couple of wins and at least finish it in, in third place. Um, yeah, and I think for for Visa, you know. Hopefully, as you mentioned, with people kind of questioning the validity of this result, they've got Grampus at home and Gamba away. So, I mean, on paper that looks like two winnable games. But I guess if you're a, if you're a glass half empty VCL fan, you you might think you know it, it looks a bit too too good to be true. So something's bound to go wrong. But I think for for them, you know, you mentioned Osaka as the goal scorer. He also he set up the, the first goal, and I think. You know, many things have changed, obviously, from from last season. But the, the fact that Osako and Muto have both played in all in all 32 games so far this season, I think that's been a been a massive massive like, fillip for them. You know, Osako's got uh, officially got 22 goals and, and five assists in, in his 32 games, which is just a f- phenomenal record. And he's the one player in the league you'd, you'd absolutely want in that position because I'm sure we've seen many times before, like. But players like you think they should score, but they're trying to do it in front of 50,000 people, and most of them are away fans, and as defenders closing you down, nowhere near as easy as doing it in the training field. So, yeah, it was a wonderful kick from from Maikawa and a wonderful finish from Osako. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame. You know, they say they say any any publicity is good publicity. I'm not sure how much I I buy into that. So. Yeah, I think I would kind of maybe sum up, like you say, is I think that the fallout from this game, how how the J League do or don't manage it, I think is is very very important for for the image of the game and the, the image of the title going forward. I think. Indeed. So I, I guess from here, um, well, yeah, it's basically as you were at the start of uh, of the match day with Kobe, uh, this goal from Osako uh, re- restoring Kobe's two point lead at the top of the table, uh, although they've lost one goal of their uh, their goal difference advantage over uh, F. Marinos, as uh, we'll come on to very shortly. F. Marinos winning 2-0 at home over Cerezo, while uh, Kobe have won, obviously, just by the odd goal here away at Reds. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess uh, if, they, if, they, if they take care of business and they win their last two games... Um, then I guess we can say over the course of the 34 games that Kobe have deserved it. Uh, if they, you know, if they win the, the league um, in inverted commas, fair and square. But I mean, yeah, the, 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 the two point advantage that has been restored now um, is, uh, yeah, as I said earlier, whether it will, it will eternally have an asterisk next to it or not. If they do go ahead and take care of business in the last two games, well, we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see, but, um, yeah, so uh, I guess uh, that drama at Saitama Stadium, Johnny, came after what was a uh, a very comfortable uh, victory for F Marinos and allowed their supporters to uh, to pack into the uh, the Shin Yokohama Hub after uh, after they'd rocked uh, finished with the business at the Nissan Stadium. Uh, two goals at the end of the first half. Uh, from uh, Jan Mateus and from Elber uh, were uh, more than enough to see off uh, Cerezo Osaka on the afternoon. Uh, Cerezo started uh, fairly brightly with the Geordie Crooks fi- firing over 
twice inside the first 10 minutes, but then after Rotakuma Nishimura hit the bar uh, shortly after, uh, well, basically most of the chances for the remainder of the game uh, were for F. Marinos. And, yeah, those two goals just before the break were... Uh, yeah, as I said, all uh, all that they needed to uh, to seal a, a very comfortable victory and set the stage for what happened later on up in Saitama. Yeah, I think if it was to, to summarise this, I'd probably focus on the, the front threes of, of both sides. You know, Marinos with the, the Brazilian trio of uh, LBR, Jan Mateus and, and Anderson Lopez. I think that first 45 minutes, the, the, the three of them, I think that is as good a performance as you'll see from an attacking trio over over the course of a, of a half of football at, at this level. They were, they were magnificent. I think Lopez didn't do a lot of like, eye-catching stuff, but he was occupying defenders and his movement was great. And you know, Elber and Jan Mateus, their, their pace, their precision, their, their relentlessness was, was really was a bit too too much for Cerezo. I think Elber, I've liked since he's come into the league, but I think this year he's really taken a, a step forward in terms of like, his directness and his pace and running and every time he gets the ball he gives opponents problems and that's I think both of those white players with with the living assists this season has been been amazing and if you can contrast that with with Leo Ciara and, and Jordi Crooks and, and uh, Capi Shaba whereas as you mentioned I think uh, Crooks had a couple of chances and he was up against Kaina Yoshio that was the, the kind of problem left back position at Marinos and Kapi Shaba was the battle of the 27s against Ken Matsubara. And, but both of them had the beating of their fullback and they were able to, to get by them. And they just weren't able to, do, to deliver any kind of killer final balls. Often a lot of misplaced crosses and crew with a couple of chances early on, he, he kind of scuffed. And then Leo Ciara against his former club was left quite, quite a frustrated figure for, for most of the game. Um, uh, other than that, I think you know, Yotaro Tsunoda, he, he was back wearing some, some Petr Cech-esque headgear. And I think, yeah, for the... The second goal, he makes a wonderful interception and a brilliant pass to Anderson Lopez to, to set up Elbert. And then you know, into the second half, that's when, when I was trying to watch the, the Reds V-Cell game at the, the same time as this. And it seemed like Cerezo had a bit of a goal. Like, in fairness to them, like, we, we speculated what side would show up. I think they, they did have a bit of a goal at the start of the first half and the start of the second half. But after it got kind of 10, 15 minutes into it, it, it kind of... I think they started to, to lose a bit, a bit of hope and the, the game kind of kind of drifted. And I think my main consideration, because at that point, obviously, Vissel were drawing, was, was goal difference. I, I mean, before the game, I think Red, um, before the game, I think Marinos would have been very, very greedy to expect like a, a 3-0 victory or a 4-0 victory. But the fact they were 2-0 up at half time and you know, that attacking trio, as good as they were in the first half, they were still good in the second half, but you could kind of sense the intensity had dropped off a little bit. And... I think you near know, the end, I think Okuno had a had a decent chance for for Cerezo, and yeah, I was kind of wondering, you know, the kind of permutation if they could just get one extra goal, or if they were to concede a goal. So, yeah, they, they did have a bit of a kind of rotating cast at, at left back because I think Yoshio started there, and then uh, Tsunoda went there, and then they finished up with with Miyaichi was playing there. So they might have been a bit kind of cautious of protecting that, but elsewhere they had first choices, and as uh, I think as Daniel said last week. Um, when he was talking about them against Fukuoka, they looked very good. Uh, again, here, they, they looked as good as they've been all season. So they, they really are in a, a good run of form, Marinos. And, you know, only two games to go. Uh, Niigata next, which is a, a definitely a potential banana peel. But the, the way they're playing, you would definitely fancy Marinos at the moment to, to take six points. And then yeah, it's all down to what, what Vissel do. They're, they're, you know, they're in uncharted waters at the moment. Can, can they handle the pressure? And can Marinos keep ramping up that pressure? Absolutely. So both of our top two at home in uh, match day 33 after the international break, as uh, Johnny's just mentioned there, F-Buddy knows entertaining 
Niigata, and uh, yeah, we've said uh, earlier on, uh, Kobe hosting uh, Nagoya, still uh, fifth in the league after uh, the weekend's action, and uh, yes, both away uh, in Kansai on uh, the final match day. Of course, that's where uh, Kobe are from, but yes, they have a Kansai derby away at uh, Gumba, and uh, we'll see if uh, yeah Johnny's side can uh, spoil Kobe's title party or not uh, on the, the final day of the season. But yes, for F. Marinos, uh, Jan Mateus and uh, Elber getting the goals and uh, Anderson Lopez uh, playing his part, but uh, unable to score on this particular day, although, uh, yeah, it did take a, a terrific save by Kim Jin-hyun just before the hour to uh, prevent him from getting on the score sheet and uh, F. Marino is making it three and who knows if they had have, uh, managed to to, uh, to do that. Uh, it might have opened the floodgates later on. But uh, yes, so as things stand with two games to go, Kobe have a two-point advantage at the top of the table and they are four goals of goal difference better off than second-placed F. Marinos. Uh, so uh, just before we uh, welcome John Steele into the pod uh, to talk about things down at the foot of the table, uh, over the past few days, listeners, our patrons have been voting on our first six teams in our player of the season polls. So before we finish the F. Marinos Cerezo game, Cerezo were one of these teams that were voted on uh, by our patrons, Johnny. There were uh, three nominees for the Cerezo player of the season, Seiya Maikuma, Leo Ciara, and Shinji Kagawa. And they finished in that order with uh, Maikuma getting 50% of the vote, uh, Ciara uh, about 33%, and uh, Kagawa the other 17 uh, It should be said that um, if uh, if it was possible, we would have included Cerezo goalkeeper in inverted commas as uh, as one of the options because I think we're in uh, uh, of a similar mind that uh, both uh, Cerezo's keepers, uh, Kim Jin-hyun and uh, Yang Han-bin, have been uh, absolutely terrific throughout the course of the season. But basically, they've split starts, haven't they, as uh, Kim was out of the team for so long, but um, yes, Mike Kuma uh, ultimately uh, won the day according to the patrons. Did that take you at all by surprise? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is one of the more more su- this was the, the most surprising decision for me. Uh, not surprising as much, but uh, I think in these kind of things, it naturally favours like attacking players because you can kind of pick out various statistics. Whereas uh, certainly a, c- a couple of the teams will come on to later the defending as a whole it's very difficult to pick like one or two individuals out of that that very strong de- defensive unit but mm. as, as long-term listeners will, will know I've been, I've been a big fan of Seamai Kuma since since he was with Nagasaki in J2 and you know, last year he was he mostly played as a kind of, kind of winger didn't he and th- this year he's forced out that the, the long-standing right back uh, Riku Matsuda has had to go out and loan to, to Vanfore Kofu because uh, Maikuma has been so so good and yeah, he's made that right back slot his own. There's been a few changes in other other positions across the, the back four, but he's been a he's been a solid source of of good defence and and good attack. So fair play to him. I, I think yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because they they all got a, a decent amount of votes, Sierra and, and Kagawa as well, which kind of shows that the series are a team that they're not really full of stars. It's more of a more of a team effort and. Yeah, as you as you say, um, with, with uh, Kim Jin Hyun and Yang Han Bin, I think both of those guys are, are very close to the, the the top of the save percentage standings. And Serizo, Cer- as as we talked with, with Sam a lot earlier in the season, they, they've not played particularly well in a lot of games, but they've kind of ground out results, which has obviously been thanks to them scoring goals when they taking their chances and also 
keeping them out at the other end. So I think that those two goalkeepers, if if Kim had stayed fit for the whole season, he, he would have got it. Likewise, if Yang had played more, he would have been in with a shout. And it it's probably worth actually pointing out a couple of maybe maybe house rules with, with these things. Um, I know it's difficult the last couple of months. Like J1 is often taking second place to to Levan Cup or Emperor's Cup, ACL internationals. These are we've basically tried to focus on on J1 only. We've tried to take out maybe people like Marcinho at Frontale or Kazia Kono at, at Fukuoka. That if you look over their J1 performances from from February to to November. Maybe you're actually thinking more of what they've done recently in the ACL or Levan Cup or, or Emperor's Cup. So it, there might be a couple of names not not appearing that, that you might feel that it should have done. But we've, we've tried to be strict because, you know, players who leave in mid-season like, like Ryotaro Ito or, or Matias Castro, Takuro Kaneko, they're not available for selection. So it's difficult to make a case for someone who's only played like 15 or 16 games. So we've been quite strict. I hope I hope everyone goes along with us with that. But I think with with Cerezo, I'm quite happy for for, for Mike Kuma, one of my one of my favourites to get to get there with 50% of the vote. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll rubber stamp that as well. Yeah, a great award for uh, an excellent season for uh, for Mike Kuma that has obviously seen him gain uh, yeah in, uh, national team recognition as well. So yes, Seiya uh, Mike Kuma is the Cerezo Player of the Year. For 2023 in J1. All right then. So uh, with the the top two taken care of, uh, let's uh, turn our attention to the foot of the table. And uh, after a quick hit of music, we'll be joined by John Steele to chat about Yokohama FC. Joining us now, a very special guest as we cross the JTalk streams. It's uh, John Steele, of course, uh, one of the co-hosts of the JTalk Extra Time podcast. And, uh, well, we've interrupted his uh, preparations for uh, what's sure to be uh, another bumper episode of JTet this week to to chat about your crime RFC. Uh, John, welcome back to Big Pod. How are you? Hi Ben, uh, th- thanks for having me on. Yeah, very well, thanks. And d- don't worry about the interruption. The, uh, the the final day of J2 is uh, a bit too crazy even for me, so I'm glad glad to take a breather from from that. To be honest, but yeah, good 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 to be on and good to talk to you again after after a while. Certainly has been a while, and well, yeah, we've obviously chatted about all the controversy from uh, from Sunday afternoon uh, at the top of the, uh, the the J1 table at Saitama Stadium. But uh, in terms of drama, uh, the the final day of the uh, the J2 season will certainly certainly uh, take some beating. And uh, well, yeah, I'm sure the listeners are already uh, there. Uh, they can't wait for this uh, this next episode of JTet to pop. So. Um, final day of the season it certainly delivered on the drama uh yeah i think my opinion at the moment sort of 48 hours on is that it was the best sort of j2 final day we've ever had i think um that might there might have been drama in the past i've just forgotten or misremembered but i think in terms of how much sort of changed from you know just before kickoff to two hours later in terms of you know teams moving around and pretty much everything James and I predicted or expected on on last week's JTET turned out to be wrong so um yeah lots for us to uh, lots for us to talk about and uh, plenty of egg plenty of egg on our faces but the the good kind of egg the the exciting surprising kind so uh yeah all all good I think but uh yeah I mean um yeah incredible drama and I, I think uh yeah, J one's uh, J one's relegation battle has got quite a lot to live up to, I think, based on based on what we've seen already. 
Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you're uh, well, the the team closest to your heart now, as uh, it's the the team that your son Kai has adopted as his favourite, the Yokohama FC, uh, obviously trying to avoid going back down to to J2 as I uh, segue somewhat awkwardly onto uh, the sky blue half of uh, Yokohama. But in recent weeks, they've given themselves uh, more than a fighting chance of uh, staying up, John, and uh, their latest Terrific result came away at Tosu on uh, on Saturday afternoon, where they uh, returned back home with all three points after a uh, hugely character-building three-one victory away at Sagan. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think the I was actually working during the afternoon, so I was just checking in with the results as they, you know, a, a after the fact. But I think based on the highlights that I've seen and comments from other supporters, I, I think it was a fairly, uh, and it's not often we get to say it's a fairly comfortable win. Um, I don't think, you know, once they were 2-1 were up, they um, obviously Yokohama FC got a mistake or two in them at the back, as we know. But I don't think they were in, ever in any real danger. And obviously the third goal at the end was was uh, icing on on the cake and a, a very nice sort of cheeky finish as, as well. But um, yeah, it's been a weird season because we have, we, we I'm starting to call them we, that's that's what's happened to, to me. But um, we, we have shown in, 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 you know, in games that we can compete and we are good enough. But um, yeah, looking at the league table at the moment, it's quite frustrating that we are sort of on the brink of possibly being relegated. But it, it will be for the sake of like a handful of points. You know, we're, we're not sort of miles adrift. But um, yeah, just another couple, I'm starting to feel like just another couple of performances like that one from the weekend at Tosu would have would have really given us um well things would look a bit better than than they do now but uh yeah really really good uh, morale boosting win I don't think anybody's giving up um in in the team I think just the opposite it's the kind of result that give everybody confidence um because I you know we, I don't think anybody was expecting us to, to go there and win and, and we did but uh yeah still it's still quite a lot of work to do we're, we're at that stage of the season where it's a great result but we we don't really uh, we can't really sort of bask bask in any glory or, or, or rest on our laurels because there's still, as the league table tells you, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work to do. Absolutely. So, uh, Johnny, the, uh, the the Sky Blues shook off the uh, the, the disappointment of having a uh, a really tight offside goal uh, disallowed in the seventh minute. Uh, Marcelo Rian was uh, was played in uh, a long ball from the keeper Kengo Nagai and a, a terrific finish by Marcelo, but uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, flagged offside and, and the decision stood after a VAR check, although it did look very, very line ball and uh, and really very tight. And I think uh, Tosu might have gotten away with one there, but Yokohama FC uh, scored the opening goal just three minutes later, a brilliant stooping header from uh, Yuri Lara uh, from across in from the right from Toa Yamane. Yes, um, and Lava managed to avoid a yellow card as well, which means he can play against Shonam, which is the, the thing I was worried about. But I think on, on last week's pod, you know, John was talking about you know, egg on face. I think I, I predicted that Yokohama FC would, would dominate for about 70 minutes and then get a goal, and then Tosu would score about 85 minutes. But you know, Yokohama FC came out like a you know, like a, a freight train and they had that, that chance, and then they, they, they took, took the lead, deservedly so. But they, then Sagan Tosu, they, they got their got the magic trick in but I think they got it in a bit a bit too early and then you know you mentioned that the um you know, I think Yokohama FC that they're a bit unlucky with that offside and that they've been a bit unlucky I think a few times in this season I think Nagoya away is the one that, that springs to mind it, that goal that was given and it's the kind of thing that happens when you're 
you're down the bottom of the league. But I, I kind of wondered that the, the penalty decision didn't didn't seem to be a, a ton of contact. I think Kikuchi's get, gets the wrong side and, and Yamane gets in. I think Yamane wants to go down and there's, there's a bit of a touch and then the, the barrel-chested Yamane hit, hits the floor. How, how, how did you see that decision, John? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a tricky one. I think Yamane, and you, you might remember this better than me, he earned a, a, a quite dodgy penalty in a home game at Mitsuzawa. Was it against Fukuoka, maybe? It was early on in the season uh, this year. So he does have... He, it, the, the barrel chest does enable him to get his body between between opposing players and the ball uh, quite well. But I think... Um, for me, I'm going to try and be diplomatic here. We don't want any more more drama, do we? After after the Sunday games, but um, yeah, I think it was the case where the defender was just on the wrong side, and any kind of contact is going to look bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to look dodgy. So I think I can see why it's given, but I also think, uh, yeah, Yamane was just kind of in the right place at the right time. And I, I felt I've only seen the replay a couple of times, but yes, it was a sort of 50-50 where sometimes you're going to get that decision, and sometimes it's going to be play on. But um, I don't think it was particularly soft necessarily. I definitely say it was more, it was a 50-50 rather than a, a dodgy decision. I feel I, I'm sure any anyone of a, a Tosu persuasion would 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 perhaps take issue with that, and I, I accept that. But from my point of view, um, Yamane is in possession. He's, he's inside the penalty area, and uh, suddenly he's you know he's he's sort of there's contact from behind, and he goes down. And I think you can't complain too much when a penalty is given. But if it, a 50-50 that went went your Karma FC's way, I, I think. Yeah, for a change, you've seen him given. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, we, we can't take anything away from Caprini as it was obviously his 26th birthday and he uh, rolled home the penalty in uh, style straight down the middle uh, to uh, to make it 2-1 to Yokohama FC at the break because uh, four minutes after Yokohama FC took the lead, uh, Yuki Hurayome equalised for Tosu. So yes, 2-1 at the break to Yokohama FC. And uh, well, yeah, they, uh, they made it through the second half, and then uh, Tomoki Kondo put the icing on the cake a minute from time, uh, sealing the 3-1 win and the three points for Yokohama FC. Uh, I guess for them, a uh, yeah, uh, well, it's obviously three points that they had to have and they would not necessarily have been banking on. Uh, I guess a classic end-of-season game where one team with an awful lot on the line taking on one that uh, had very little to play for, but as Johnny says, has a history of uh, being outplayed in games, but then uh, getting uh, nicking something out of them. But, uh, yeah, so this uh, this sets the scene for, uh, for the last couple of match days, uh, John, and in particular this uh, match day 33 home game, against Shona that has been looming on the horizon for so long now. Um, we've known that, uh, it, well, for, it, it appeared to so many that Kashiwa were going to uh, to work their way out of trouble and uh, out of uh, relegation danger. That hasn't transpired. But, yes, this, uh, in in uh, in some respects, a winner-take-all game at Mitsuzawa in match day 33. Um, I guess this is a terrific result to uh, to to come in to that game on the back of you you probably wish there wasn't an international break and you could take the uh, the, the feel good factor out of this win into that game against Shonan straight away but um yeah it, it's it, it's got so much riding on it obviously um how how do you feel the the play the team and the the, the coaching staff and uh, you know even the supporters in the stands will approach it uh, as an opportunity to uh, to try and uh, earn their way to safety, or will there be any trepidation? Do you think heading into such an important game? 
Uh, yeah, all, all good, all good points. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to football, I'm, I'm a glass uh, glass half empty kind of guy, as JTech listeners will, will will attest. And when it comes to Ocom FC, the glass is almost completely empty for me. I'm, I'm you know, more in expectation. What is it more in hope than expectation uh, every time? And you're obviously getting promoted last year in second place made us favorites for the drop this year i think for most people myself included and then the, the close season recruitment was um as johnny and i discussed before fairly underwhelming um so you know go, go, looking at the when the fixture list came out i was looking at the run-in straight away rather than the games that we started with and i knew that we'd have three of the last four games away from home Seanan is the the only home game of the last the last four games, so that that made it you know that focused attention on it. And it's Kashima away on the final day. You don't ideally want to be having to go there to to try and get points. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a huge game, and obviously Seanan were kind of expected by by I think by me and many others. Perhaps I thought they'd do a little bit better than they they have done, but they they they've, they've been down there with us for most of the most of the season and, and that, that was kind of anticipated so yeah this this funnily enough this felt like a big game sort of in like late january potentially when the fixtures came out and, and to have that confirmed um yeah is is big um about the the running it has this is the first year that i've paid close attention to like the j1 sort of on a weekly basis for a while mm. um actually you know on, on a sort of personal level. and i do find it a bit weird that we had you know there was the levant cup final break last weekend <laughs> yeah. And then there's another break here. So whether that will, I think you can spin it either way. I mean, from Yokohama FC's point of view, though, I saw some comments from uh, Yomada, the coach, this week about how that's it's good, you know, to have the extra preparation time is really good, um, you know, versus you know trying to trying to get everybody turned around quickly from a an away game at Tosu. But um, yeah, I think I think from a neutral's point of view, you kind of really want the games coming thick and fast, don't you, on a weekly on a weekly basis? And I, I find, in a way, I'm finding this this wait for this game quite agonising. Because um, we we haven't had a home game for ages. Uh, I mm. might be wrong, but I think Kashiwa was the last was the last home game, wasn't it? Was there one after that that I'm forgetting? There might have been one after that. Yeah, you um, might be forgetting when you beat FC Tokyo at home, John. Oh yeah, that's I did I didn't go to that one. That's why that's one. But that's the one that my my son went with um with uh, with my wife. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But even that seems like ages. That that that's three or four five. That'll be five weeks ago, six weeks ago by the time the the Seanan game rolls around, I think. So, mm, mm. so yeah, everybody's kind of pumped for another another home game. But um, yeah, it's massive, and my, my mind keeps going back to the away game at Seanan, like back in round two, where um, Takio Wada did, you know, his own goal of the Millennium contender, um, and we ended up not winning that game. You just think if we could adjust, I, I don't really like reducing a 34 game season down to one game. It seems a bit reductive, but if we could have got the three points away at Seanan back in February then there will be a lot less pressure on this game uh, now. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's huge, but I think it's huge for Seanan as well, and they know that, and they, they've got the two-point cushion. Um, hopefully that leads to a bit of complacency on their part, but I don't think it will. I think they'll be they'll be bang up for this game. And uh, Yokohama FC have to be as well. The, the, the last time we had a similar home game was against Kashiwa, and we played, I think the first half was the worst we've played pretty much since the season started, since since February or March, when we were well off the pace in a lot of games, so we we, we threw we basically threw away that game against Kashiwa, which which you know looks costly at the moment. We can't afford a similar sort of poor start and to be you know have the game gone away from us by half time against Shonan. So yeah, it's, it's going to be massive, and uh, yeah, I've got no idea how it's how it's going to go. To be honest, we I think Yokohama FC this season have shown they can they can compete with some top teams. 
uh, FC Tokyo, as, as mentioned, and then Marinos as well. We've, we've beaten, we've drawn against Kobe and Uro at home, so we've done okay. But some of the uh, some of the some of the football we've produced has been diabolical. So uh, it really just depends what what we can string together on the day. But yeah, absolutely huge match, and it feels a bit like a relegation playoff, doesn't it? I think you know if, if your Karma FC can win and then maybe get get above Sean and going into the, 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 the final day, that's that's huge. Um and obviously if we don't win anything other than three points for your Karma FC and I think the um the jig is very much up. So it, it couldn't get bit uh, couldn't get much bigger really, I don't think. No, I think as well you, you mentioned K- Kashiwa there because they, they played Tosu at home in that game. So I think if you're if you're Yokohama FC you have to go into that game thinking we, we have to win. Because mm. essentially if they were to lose to Shonan, Shonan would be safe and then if Kashiwa were to win then, then Yokohama FC would, would, would be down. So mm. it'd be very interesting with, with that kind of in mind because you know, in, in league play, you're not really used to that kind of setup. So mm. sometimes, you, you, you know, you mentioned, John, like the, the two-week build-up, sometimes you just want to get it over with because a two-week build-up for you is also a two-week build-up for your opponents and you just go over the same things again and again in your head and then you get out there and in 10 minutes and they've scored a goal and so like that wasn't in the plan. Mm. Sometimes people can, can kind of panic. So... Uh, again, it can work in your favour, but I, I think I think we're all in agreement. We, we'd really like to see this game game next week. But you know, it, was, it was interesting against against Tosa, three goals scored, which I looked up. That's only the fifth time this season that Yokohama have scored more than more than one goal in a game. Mm. That seems to be the kind of the difference between like Yokohama and Shonan. Both conceded fifty five, but Shonan have nine nine extra goals. So mm. yeah, I, I think they're going to have to continue with bringing their, their shooting boots to the, the next game. Yeah, I think we go the other way, Johnny. So we, we've used one goal too many in beating Tulsi. Like we've we've essentially wasted a goal there that we should have saved, you know, to, to use later. But uh, yeah, yeah, but definitely we, we don't score enough goals. That's for sure. Yeah, but very interesting to see if the 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 um what happened at Saitama Stadium has any effect on, on goalkeepers going up in the final minute or or prior to the final minute of games if it gets down to that that kind of nitty gritty stage at nil nil with a couple of minutes to go. But what will we see at the Mitsuzawa? Well, Kengo Nagai is the not not backwards about coming forwards. Uh, so uh, yeah, I imagine he'll be might be the end of the first half when he's being told to stay on his line or get back get back in goals. So uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully nothing too crazy. <laughs> Just before we let you go, John, um, you you mentioned yourself earlier on about the the, the preseason expectations that people had for for your Premier C and maybe the quality of the squad and the signings in the off season. We know that the the main man up front, Koki Ogawa left uh, officially in August, but I mean, his last appearance was in early June and um, and his last goal came uh, a month before that. So you, you really haven't been able to uh, r- rely on him for, uh, for uh, well, and truly the majority of the season. So who are maybe some of the unsung heroes that have gotten Yokohama FC to this point? I mean, as you said yourself, I mean, at times the football hasn't been terrific but um the yeah uh, some preseason predictions of uh you know a a, a season where your currency would be seriously cut adrift have obviously not come to pass so there, there must be some players who have impressed you throughout the course of the campaign and, and proven to be key players and as an aside off of that uh, whose uh, whose number has your son uh, kai got on the back of his shirt these days yeah, good, good question. No, no, no name and number because it's an extra four thousand four hundred yen, and uh, daddy, <laughs> yeah. daddy's, uh, daddy's still teaching English for a living. So uh, yeah, we, we have to, we have to economise where we can. But um, yeah, I think he would 
probably if he could get anybody i think it might be uh, he likes uh yuri lara as uh, we mentioned already uh scoring at the, the weekend I mean, we actually bumped into him in a sports shop uh, near yokohama station a few weeks ago and he's he's a really nice guy in real life as well so that, i think that's helped to cement his place uh, as as one of kai's one of my son's favorites i realize that's nothing to do with his performances on the pitch but yeah i think i'll give yuri lara a shout out because he's just got this kind of um all action kind of style and um i i have to admit i wasn't bowled over particularly when wet with his signing because he he i think he'd played about nine games for tochigi two or three years ago and just sort of bounced off the j league and not 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 really made much impression then gone back to brazil and come back and um i don't think it would have been anybody else's radar but the first couple of games he was so late in a lot of tackles to just get getting booked quite often um he just didn't seem to be quite at the pace but he's improved so much um, and really got up to the pace of the league, I think. And um, even though I'm not sure he's particularly outstanding in any um, <laughs> category, hope he's not listening. Um, friendly, <laughs> friendliness is outstandingly friendly. Um, but he, he's he's just that kind of player who doesn't really allow the people around him to like drop their heads or to stop stop running and stop working. So I think he his his importance to the team can't be overestimated. He's not been captain, but he. He's captain material. It's like having a, a mini, uh, a mini captain, you know, sort of in the central midfield. Um, I think we we got to shout out the guys that have played at the back. Now, now bear with me, Johnny, um, because th- they haven't always been, um, water, you know, watertight uh, in that central defensive area. But we we lost uh, Gabriel, you know, club captain um, in that Shonan game back in in February. So I think possibly I, I was talking about that that Shonan match back in round two has been pivotal pivotal sorry because we didn't win it but it might also be pivotal in the sense that naughty uh, uh shooter machido gave gabriel a little nudge off the ball but it, it ended up with him falling awkwardly and doing his um doing his knee ligaments and being out for basically the whole season so we lost the guy who was supposed to be our starting center back so someone that's come in uh, and really helped there is kyohei yoshino and uh, he's not really um you know he's not really a star player in any sense and again not outstanding in any category but some of the some of the work that he's done to help out the guys at the back um can't be can't be sneezed at i don't think and i'll just shout out to two young players on on either side uh, on the flanks as well um hayashi uh and uh, i forget the name of the other guy oh no hayashi and kondo yeah i think kondo's just been called up for japan's under 22s um, to play in the in the squad um, in, in sort of the break that's coming out. So those two have been really really good. Um, you know, obviously Yokohama City got that reputation in the past as being a bit of a kind of veterans veterans retirement home, um, and we're still we're still sort of half in and half out of that stage it seems. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, having these two young guys come through and, and add some some real kind of uh, real verve and real energy, especially in the wide positions, has been good to see. And um, finally, I, j- I give the, the manager, Yomada, a shout out. This might sound counterintuitive, but to have us within, you know, with a shout of staying up, considering he's had the best striker sold and not replaced mid-season. Mm. And uh, we also lost Saulo Minieru, who, who I think um, pound for pound is probably the second best forward, you know, on the in the roster. We lost him as well. And the, the club hasn't uh, bothered or hasn't been able to replace these players, so we were kind of going with, you know, Marcelo Hian, who's young and very raw, Keiji Ogawa, who's a very willing runner but um, does not get into, he's not going to get into double figures for goals, I don't think, at this point. And then we've got Sho Ito, who is this kind of big uh, battering ram who, who, who can cause havoc, but perhaps not for 90 minutes at a time. So, uh, yeah, in terms of where, you know, Johnny was talking about where the goals are going to come from when we don't score many. 
most of the goals in the team like walked out of the door in the summer and we didn't we didn't replace them so I think we've we got to give Yomado a bit of credit I know it sounds strange to say that the guy managing the team who's rock bottom is doing a good job but um, considering how bad it could have been with with the lack of firepower up front I think he's done pretty well to keep us to keep us in with a shout of staying up to be honest yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned about Yamada because uh, I was I was kind of thinking it's it's quite hard, isn't it? Because uh, Kashiwa, Shona, and Yokohama FC they're all caught adrift about about ten games ago, but they've all kind of caught up you know, almost mm. in a sense because they've been playing for something. Whereas you know like Gamba, Kyoto, Sapporo, Tosu, Tokyo, like they've all kind of just drifted kind of aimlessly. So it is quite hard to get a true reading in like comparison to like previous seasons, especially with only one relegation spot. But mm. I always tend to kind of benchmark it. If the bottom team has like 30 or more points, it's a pretty solid league. And you'll come and see that they look likely that they could you know, pick up some points and, and get over 30. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty good good achievement because I, I think we talked in pre-season. It wasn't wasn't particularly impressive recruitment. But, you know, if I try, try and link this, but you'll come and have obviously been a bit up and down, a bit of a, a yo-yo club. And uh, another yo-yo club who also were sky blue but very similar shade of blue to, to use Jubilo Iwata and mm. I, I don't want to step on your toes too much because you'll be talking to, to James about the, the, their promotion but um, do, do you think uh, are, are Jubilo like how are they going to be as an, as an addition but do, do you think they've like lessons have been learned and they might be a bit stronger because at the moment they do kind of fit the mode for me of, of like a Yokohama FC like if you put that Yokohama FC team in, in J2 I have no problem seeing them getting automatically promoted, but then you put them back into J1 and you think, ah, even mm. if they survive, it's not going to be easy. I, I kind of have that kind of vibe about Jubilo. How, how about you? Mm. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do recruitment-wise in the winter. Um, first of all, incredible achievement for them to get over the line and get the automatic promotion place, I think. So obviously there was, there was stiff competition from not only Shimizu, but in the end, you know, they only just pipped Tokyo Verde on goal difference, which is pretty incredible to think mm. about you know you know you've got two of the uh, original 10 you know powerhouses uh, tm you know uh, sort of locked together on points at the top of j2 is pretty pretty crazy um i think it's already been announced and quite rightly akinobu yokuchi is going to stay on as manager mm-hmm. for next year i mean that sounds like a bit of a no-brainer but we are talking about iwata so it perhaps was a brainer for them and they've they managed to make the right call there i think he's obviously richly deserves the chance to to manage them in j1 and i wonder how loyal this is something that uh, has been mentioned by Sean Carroll on, on JTA as well. So like the, the the core of the squad, because they had this transfer ban, the core of the, the squad is, is pretty much the same as the one that got relegated from J1 last time. Mm-hmm. So normally when a team gets promoted, I'm very much in favour of giving as many of those players a chance at, at the higher level as they can because they've, they've, they've earned it. But uh, it's a bit of a weird one this time because mo- most of those players sort of... Have, <laughs> Not exactly demonstrated that they can't they can't handle J1, but the last time most of these guys were in J1, it didn't go great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they um, how they sort of renovate the squad, if you like, in the winter. And I think they might go a bit hog wild because obviously I think they'll be they'll be free of the the transfer shackles, the the, the transfer ban now, and they, they might want to go go a bit mad. They they probably got quite a lengthy shopping list that they want want to get into. I, I think they will attract a, a lot of players. And um, yeah, without wanting to, uh, you, you know, depress any Yokohama City fans who might be listening, but it might be anyone who gets, whoever gets relegated from J1 this year, they're going to be, perhaps going to be vultures circling um, uh, of a Jubilo persuasion. But um, yeah, I think um, my gut feeling tells me they'll do okay um, coming up into J1. But obviously we're going to have, uh, obviously more relegation places next year than last. So I think they will, 
I think any team that comes up now, the, the, the gap for me does seem to be widening a little bit. And I think the, the, the money distribution will change from next season. Is that right? When, when the league is like 20, mm-hmm. 20, 20 over the three divisions. So I think they'll do very well to be cautious. And perhaps this experience of being relegated and they have finished second and they do deserve it, but it didn't wasn't in the bag at all. They had to really scrap for that. I, I wonder if that's been a bit of a chasing experience and a bit of the kind of hubris around the club in the last few years might be might have been dissipated by that and I think um, I think they'll make a good fist of it and I, I could see them staying up next year um, quite easily but yeah I think they it'll be really interesting to see what they do recruitment wise do they go for sort of 50-50 rewarding the players that have got them back up and, and adding new ones or is it is it whole scale changes I think the fact they've already announced the managers uh, staying suggests that there won't be wholesale changes to the to, to the to the squad uh, I don't know what what do you think, Johnny? Is that a bit too optimistic? Um, it was really interesting when you talked to Sean Carroll a few weeks back, and he was saying about like you know how it almost kind of helped him in the way that they couldn't sign players because you know you've already got people like Kotaro Omori or Yuki Oda on presumably quite high contracts being out injured um, mm. a lot of the season, and you, you never know if they were allowed to sign players they might have been battling out with like to Sendai for Manabu Saito in the, the middle of the season and, and making some poor signings along with some decent ones, so. I think that the, the kind of concern is that they do have an awful lot of veteran players, like not necessarily of the Yasuhito Endo, like really veteran, but the kind of Hiroki Yamada players are in that, the 32, 33. There's going to be a, an overhaul of, of some sort required, but mm. I think the Miura, the goalkeeper, is quite good. And Ricardo Grassa, he's, he's obviously, he was signed to be a J1 centre back and he has the pedigree to, to be a top half J, J1 centre back. So. Uh, having him there, and then you've got like, Yuto Suzuki, he's obviously getting on a bit, but I think he's a, he's a very quality player. You get young Goto as well. I, mm. I think they will have to bring in a, a new striker because Yuri Germain's been, been their main forward this year, which has been has been all right in J2, but that's always the, the issue, isn't it, for, for teams coming up and scoring enough goals? So obviously, Jubilo mm. do, do have the name and that they have previously recruited quite well from, from overseas. So, mm. yeah. I think they will stick with a, a core group of players that they've had this year, but I think you might well see next year maybe maybe five or six of the starting eleven by the mm. time you get to, to mid season are, mm. are potentially new new players kind of built yeah. around that kind of Grasa, Dudu, mm. Suzuki, Goto, Miura base. And why, why, why do I suddenly feel that Juanma Delgado is going to be wearing the uh, the Sax Blue Admiral kit at Yamaha next year? It's just a feeling that I'm getting. I don't know. I, I quite enjoy not having to talk about him, even though I've been I've been admiring him from from afar this year in J1. But yeah, you could do far worse than saying Juan Delgado, even though if he if he does score 25 goals in J1 next season, I I will eat my hat. Mm. Well, I believe uh, just just to derail things completely, and I, I apologise, but I think Juan Mar's had his best season for for goals and yellow cards. Uh, Johnny with tw- 26 goals and 11 yellow cards this season, so uh, he's, he's he's box office. I know there was, a, there was something I saw on Twitter and I now understand it because they hadn't labelled the graph. So I wondered if it was assists, but I thought you couldn't possibly get 27, 26 goals and 11 assists. But now you've you've got up 11 yellow cards. So he, he I'm, I'm not I'm not sure he's got I'm not sure he's had 11 passes this year. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes, it's uh, it's going to be good to have uh, Iwata back in the top flight, and we'll see how they attack the uh, yeah the, uh, the the close season and what sort of a squad. Uh, they're uh, able to uh, to come up with uh, as they come back up to the top flight. But uh, yeah, John, um, thanks very much for taking time out of your preparations for 
uh, this week's episode of JTET. Obviously, so much for you and James to talk about about the uh, the mm-hmm. final day of the J2 season, and obviously you'll be looking ahead to the uh, the playoff semi-finals as well. Two mouth-watering games uh, in prospect for the the coming weekend. So, uh, well, all we can do is um, yes, as the drama builds over the next two weeks, I wish York Armour FC. Uh, all the best for their uh, huge game against Shonan and indeed the, on the final day away at Takashima. And may the chips fall where they may, mate. Oh, thanks a lot, matey. I appreciate it, and uh, always good to come on and uh, and chat with the uh, you know the big boys. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can do it again sometime, maybe in the in the close season as a quick uh, quick debrief. But yeah, uh, look out for JTet. It'll be dropping uh, painfully close to the weekend as usual, I think. Absolutely tremendous. We uh, we can't wait to listen. So thanks again to John Steele. Uh, after a quick hit of music, Johnny and I will uh, round up the rest of the relegation dogfight battles and uh, all of the other games from J1 Match Day 32. Welcome back to part three, and uh, thanks again to John for his uh, thoughts on Yokohama FC, who are uh, still two points adrift at the foot of the table after uh, match day 32, when all three of our uh, major uh, dogfighters picked up points. Shonan are uh, still in 17th spot, but are now level on points with the uh, Kashiwa uh, after uh, Belmare's 2-1 home victory over Nagoya. And uh, once again, Johnny, it was their main man up front, Yuki Ohashi, who did all the damage for Belmare. Yeah, all, all the glory to, to Ohashi. Um, I think I was looking up that's, that's t- the last 10 games shown. I've got f- 15 points. I've got scored 12 goals in that time, and eight of those from from the boot or the head of, of Ohashi. So yeah, f- phenomenal stuff from him. Like keep keeping up, as I said, I think last time with with Osako and Anderson Lopez overlooking the second half of the season. But you know, I know we're not we're not meant to be focusing in Nagoya, but I feel I have to in the first half because. Obviously, we're not the only ones who've been criticising Kenta Hasegawa and the way he's been setting Nagoya up, but I don't know what they were doing defensively in this game. I only caught the, the highlights, granted, but you know, if you if you put a video up and blurred out Nagoya players and, and asked someone to identify which J1 team is this, I think you get a lot of Sapporos or Gambas, maybe Yokohama FC. You wouldn't get many people saying this is this is Nagoya defending because. You know, Abe, who used to play for, for um, Nagoya, he's more used to, to dealing at the top of J1 than at, at the bottom. But the amount of time and space he has to just dink a cross-field ball over to, to Hiroka to set up Ohashi's first. And then, I mean, the, the second one is, is straight out of the, the Misha Petrovic textbook, losing the ball in the opposition half. Shonan just hack it down the field and then one pass. And Ohashi's straight through, running half the field down, down to goal. Langerak does well to stop him, but can't keep out the rebound. And it's it's 2-0 after after no time and you know we've mentioned a lot a lot before if you're glass half full or glass half empty i'm sure sort of glass half empty shonan fans will be in dreamland but then they'd have the realization what well this has gone a bit too well too too early what's what's going to come next and there was inevitably a bit of a a, an agoya fight back but i think tommy got injured previously but luckily that coincided with uh with songbun kun coming back and yeah, I looked up eight, eight saves from him, six in the box, including one from his opposite number, Langerak. But yeah, we, we mentioned last week that although Nagoya are out of form, that they are still fifth and they're still fifth after this result. But you know, Shonan got got the business done and and is exactly what they wanted, isn't it? After what we said with John, if Shonan win, they are safe. That this next game against Yokohama FC, so 
they, they did the business. All credit to them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, key players at either end of the pitch really uh, came to the fore here for Belmare. As we mentioned, yeah, Ohashi, two more goals for him, uh, both inside the first half hour to take him on to 13 for the season. That's, yeah, five in uh, his last four league games. And uh, yeah, he's been the, the driving force behind uh, Sean Nunn's uh, terrific uh, recent run uh, towards the end of the season. But yes, uh, Song making his return between the sticks. His uh, first league appearance in almost three months. He'd uh, missed seven league games. Um, was uh, huge as well for Belmaro because uh, after Sean Nunn got uh, 2-0 to the good, uh, Song was very much tested. Uh, Nagoy were reigning in the attempts. But, uh, yeah, Song was equal to almost everything, uh, but was finally beaten uh, just past the hour when uh, Tojiro Kubo's neat finish uh, flashed past him. That was after Tsukasa Morishima's attempt was blocked. So, yeah, I guess it set set up what to promise to be a, a tense last half hour for the uh, Shonan faithful on the terraces at the Lemongas Stadium. But uh, instead, it was, uh, yeah, Mitch Langerak, the Nagoya keeper, who was called into action again inside the last 20 minutes to uh, deny Ohashi his hat-trick. He's a 25-yard blast, uh, looked uh, destined for the top corner, but a, a terrific save by Langerak. And then, yes, what drama in uh, second-half stoppage time, Johnny, when yeah the final action of this game was uh, Mitch Langerak heading down, but uh, straight at Song, uh, fortunately for Shonan, from inside the six-yard box. And uh, literally seconds after that, after Song claimed the ball, the final whistle did finally sound, and uh, Shonan could celebrate this 2-1 victory. So, yeah, I wonder, Johnny, and I probably didn't want to say this to John while he was uh, uh, being so gracious as to guest on the podcast, but I wonder if the, the the quality of these two players at either end of the pitch, Ohashi and Song, could prove to be the difference in this uh, huge game in match day 33 at Mitsuzawa because um, as uh, you know, as game as they've been in in recent weeks to uh, to keep themselves in with a fighting chance. I mean, Yokohama FC just can't boast a striker of uh, Ohashi's quality, obviously, and um, uh, you know their their goalkeeper Kengo Nagai has has done well at times, but I mean, yeah, Song is uh, quite literally a South Korean international goalkeeper, so. I wonder whether the quality of the likes of those two players is ultimately going to tell in in Shonan's favour. I think at this time it really looks like a solid point. I think we could kind of surmise that, but I guess the thing you have to bear in mind, I mean, the J-League is the J-League, but you've also got the fact that the reason we haven't heard about Ohashi much until this season is he's been injured a lot. He's a very injury-prone player, and I was just quickly flicking through the Mekan there, and prior to this season he had seven goals and 67 J1 appearances. That's before this season he's got 13 now, so... You know, almost double his, his entire career total. So, yeah, assuming he stays fit, and also Song is in the, the Korean squad, I believe, for the, their upcoming international. So he's got to to come back from that. And I, I'm, I, I guess both both will come back, and both will be will be massive factors because, you know, as John said, without Ogawa there, it's kind of you know, just trying to make do with like two, two or three forwards and kind of rotate them through through games. They haven't really got a clinical striker, and they've struggled to score. But more than one, whereas yeah, Shonan have got someone in Ohashi that can score more than one, and also some of the players off him, like Abe has a has a lot of experience in it. You know, Tanaka, Kim Minte, there is quite a strong spine there now at Shonan, and they've been in good form. And I'm not, I'm absolutely not going to come out and say that they're they're going 
could clearly win it at Yokohama FC, but you fancy them, I think, at the moment to, to come away from that game without without losing, which then, you know, at home to, to FC Tokyo where Yokohama FC go, go away to Kashima. If they just have to match Yokohama FC's result, you fancy them to, to, to get a draw at least at home to, to FC Tokyo in the final day. And then I, I think given their, you know, given the way they've played recently, obviously with the caveat that I said when we talked with John, that the bottom three were cut adrift and had a lot more to play for than the other teams. So they might look slightly more like artificially close to the, than they otherwise would have. But I think I've liked a lot of what I've seen at Shonan since they brought in those new signings. I think like Tanaka and Kim Min Tae, and then Ohashi came back from from injury. Desaro's unfortunately been out, but I think since since the summer onwards, they've really kind of started to click and get things together. So you have the kind of feeling like if they can just stay up, that they may fancy building that. And then they're they're twelfth last year, so they might fancy aiming for that next season. But obviously that's a it's a long way in the future. They've still got the, the final two days, the final um, two, two games to take care of. But yeah, having having someone that can score goals reliably is is a godsend for for teams in that position, isn't it? Yeah, most heavily. And uh, uh, I mean, a, a tale of uh, two clubs who lost their uh, their main focal points uh, in mid season. With as we mentioned, with John Yokohama FC losing Koki Ogawa, and obviously Shonan. Uh, with the Shuto Machino departing the club, but Ohashi has uh, yeah more than filled the breach there and uh, finishing the season in uh, such a purple patch. I, I do remember, Johnny, a, a couple of um, international breaks uh, earlier on in the season and mentioning this with Sam, that Song um, wasn't play, wasn't selected by, by Shonan immediate in the, the games immediately after those international breaks earlier on in the season. So I don't know whether it's because he's uh, he's actually picked up a knock on both occasions or whether Satoshi Yamaguchi doesn't want to pick him because he hasn't been in training with the, the rest of the squad before uh, the the league resumes. But I can't imagine uh, anything will keep Song out of the uh, the, the Shonan team uh, when uh, when the league resumes after this international break, so uh, yes, uh, all Belmare supporters will be uh, well be praying that uh, yeah, Song is uh, between the sticks for them uh, when that game takes place. So uh, yes, we'll uh, we'll before we move on from this game, we'll uh, uh, chat a little bit more about the uh, the losing team as we did in the F Marino Cerezo game, as uh, Nagoya were one of the uh, the teams uh, that our patrons voted on in the past few days for for their player of the season. Uh, we should mention, as uh, as you did, uh, Johnny, with uh, some of the, the players that uh, we would have liked to include, or, um, I mean, if you make a list of the, their best players, then uh, in the case of Nagoya, yes, Mateus Castro is definitely on that list, but the fact that he left the club in the summer uh, means he's, uh, well, yeah, technically ineligible for our uh, poll. So uh, of the uh, the nominees that we put before our patrons to vote on, um, uh, again, uh, there was a clear-cut winner uh, with Casper Juncker uh, earning uh, over 50% of the vote, although uh, Harrier Fuji did uh, run him fairly close and uh, Mitch Langerak finished a, a distant third on this occasion. Yeah, and poor Yuri Morishita, no, no votes, even though he was the second top goal scorer from, from wing back. He's covered both, both flanks and got himself into the, the national team. I felt, I felt a bit sorry for him, I, I have to say, but mm. no, 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 no complaints about, about Juncker being their, their best player this, this year. As, a, as I said earlier, that this kind of voting, like picking an individual out of a, a team, it definitely favours favors forwards, and he's got 14 of the 39 goals, and 
despite us criticising their, their lack of attacking intent, they've actually scored more than, than Hiroshima, which is a bit surprised about. But very interested to see about about Juncker's future because he, he's only on loan and with the talk of, of Reds potentially changing changing head coach and you know he, he's done well. He obviously likes the food in Nagoya. He's always on social media interacting about that. But will, will it be a kind of case of one and done and he might want to go somewhere else where they play a bit more attacking football and he's got a bit more support? That, that remains to be seen. But well worthy of that that award and, and Fuji uh, again this time next year will he still be at Nagoya I, I sort of expect him I kind of expected him almost doing the Japan squad this time I expect him to kind of break in maybe post Asian Cup and then potentially on the road to Europe Langerak is always a is always a solid option even if he's not quite that in the, the opposing box but yeah I think four four decent options and now, I mean, we said a disappointing Nagoya season, but they're still fifth somehow. They're only they're only three points off third, which, you know, who who knows if, they, if Nagoya were to finish third despite all our criticisms and criticism from 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 elsewhere, that'd be, be a phenomenal achievement. But it remains to be seen. But yeah, but I'm quite happy to to rubber stamp Casper uh, Junker as their as their main player this season. How about yourself, Ben? Yep, I'll go along with that, uh, Johnny. I think there might be a, a little bit of. Um, f- Langerak fatigue. We mm-hmm. we obviously well aware of uh, his his quality between the sticks, and he is a former winner of uh, of this award, of course, and he has uh, featured in our or our list of uh, nominees for team of the half season and team of the the, the full season for a number of years now. Um, but uh, I, I can certainly uh, understand the the thinking of the the majority of our patrons who voted for Junker. It's interesting, as you say, yeah, Morista didn't get. The national team bounce in terms of votes that uh, that Mike Kuma uh, that might have contributed to to Mike Kuma's uh, victory, but uh, yeah, Junker a worthy winner, and as you say, it'd be very interesting to see where he lands next season if indeed he is still playing in the J League. All right, so yes, the the third of our main uh, dogfight combatants is of course Kashiwa Raisol. Uh, they headed to Kashima on uh, Saturday afternoon for a, a, a huge game. And again, they returned frustrated after they've uh, dropped points from winning position yet again. Uh, that is uh, seven points from winning positions that they've dropped in their last five league games, if you're keeping score at home. Of course, they, they led Fukuoka, ended up losing 3-1. And uh, this is now two league games in a row where they've taken the lead 1-0 against both Kawasaki and Kashima, but have been pegged back on both occasions. So, um, so many chances to seal their safety, Johnny. They still um, refuse or are un- unable to take them. And, uh, yeah, again, the, um, the the terrific goal that uh, gave them the lead with the 13 minutes left when uh, Mateo Savio and Mao Hosoya combined to uh, to devastating effect well uh, they were devastated themselves after the uh, the penalty decision and uh, Diego Diego Pachuca sending their keeper Kenta Matsumoto the wrong way from the spot with the three minutes left so uh, yet again uh, Kashiwa uh, failed to uh, secure their safety and now as I said earlier they find themselves level on points with Shonan and just two points ahead of Yokohama FC and well if they uh, weren't looking over their shoulder over the last couple of weeks they most definitely are now yes this is the kind of result isn't it same as Kawasaki last week that in isolation this is a perfectly reasonable result but in in the situation Kashu have got themselves into you know one nil up with 13 minutes to go and as you say a brilliant goal 
pass of the season from from uh, Savio, and then brilliant cut, uh, low finish from from Hosoya, who's now he's now been called up to the the national team. I saw today, and you think you know there's a, there's a big yellow support behind the goal, and even it's interesting seeing that the back stand at Kashima, you you rarely see away fans with the big support. Brilliant closing down to start off that that counter attack, and then the, the the two the two main protagonists, Savio and Hosoya. It's quite quite interesting to see uh, now uh, Naomichi Ueda sort of hauling Hosoya to the ground as it, as he finished, but yet the, the keeper Hayakawa was still charging off to the ref to complain about something or offside <laughs> presumably. But yeah, the, the the penalty this was yeah, this was rubbish. I, I don't I don't think it was rubbish in terms of I'm sure it it met the criteria for for giving a penalty, but you know the, the cross in and I think several players jump and it's Ueda's right next to Inukai. He misses the header and the ball just cannons into Inukai's arm. It's like, what's he supposed to do? He takes arms to jump. People right in front of him have moved it. It felt very, very harsh. I'm sure it is within the rules, but yeah, it doesn't really feel that doesn't really feel feel good that a game of such importance is is kind of decided with with that. But yeah, fair play to Pituka. He took his took his penalty took his penalty well and. It seemed to be, you know, the, the first half looking at the shot count at race also sort of had the eight shots to two, but then Antlers came roaring back with, with kind of 12 to seven. But I think that the big thing with, with Kashiwa, obviously the next game is Tosu at home, but they paid a dear, dear price in, in this game because um, uh, Tayo Koga, Diego and uh, Takamine, they were all booked. So they're all suspended for the, the Tosu game. And, and Takamini, that was his eighth booking, so he's done for the season. So mm. you know, some big, big names. Uh, Sam Robson's favourite, Hugo Tatsuta, might be might be back in defence. So <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, you, you look at it and think, well, surely they could beat Tosu. That would take them to 34. And then as long as Yokohama FC don't beat Shonan, then they are safe. But yeah, we've seen it time and time again. And Kashiwa fans, they just must be absolutely deflated. The fact that they just cannot dig themselves out of this hole they found themselves in. You know, surely next time, but yeah, you just you just don't know, do you? Yeah, to say they've had enough chances is obviously a massive understatement. And yeah, they just uh, yeah continue to uh, waste opportunities. As I said, there's seven points from their last five games um, that they've uh, they've flitted away. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the quality of the, the Kashiwa goal is, is such a shame that, um, yeah, that's not the, uh, the the sole thing that we're talking about. But, yeah, uh, another controversial uh, VAR decision. Again, yeah, you've seen them given, and it's one of those where, um, I mean, I think once the referee went over, I mean, Inukai knew what was what was going to be the the eventual result because he will have known, obviously, that the ball uh, struck his arm. Um, there were no appeals at all from uh, from Antlers players, and we know Antlers' reputation for uh, <laughs> for getting on the referee when they feel they're a little bit hard done to. So, I mean, yeah, it literally wasn't noticed by anyone uh, on the pitch uh, of a of a Kashima persuasion. But yes, unfortunately for Kashiwa, uh, the VAR spotted it and the referee. Uh, gave the penalty that Pachuca slotted away. So, um, yeah, all, all that Racehold can do is dust themselves down and try and get ready for Tosu at home. Whether your predi- yeah, prediction from the Yokohama FC game, Johnny, might come back to bite Kashiwa on the bottom because, uh, as you said, and you rightly pointed out, Tosu are the, the, the past masters of, uh, of getting outplayed and maybe yeah, falling behind in a game, but uh, finding a way to either equalise or uh, come back all the way back and win it. And uh, as we just explained, yeah, Racehall certainly have 
previous of uh, letting up uh, dropping points from uh, from winning positions. So uh, they won't be approaching that game lightly, I'm sure, Raysol. Uh, but uh, yes, they could find themselves even further in the mire if they don't win against Tosu and, uh, um, well, yeah, uh, your grammar see if they can beat Shonan um then yeah it will literally go down to the wire and uh, Reso will go to Nagoya on the final day of the season so we'll uh, we'll wait and see uh from uh, an antlers perspective their uh, player of the season poll was again voted on by our patrons uh, in the past few days three uh, terrific nominees uh, Yuma Suzuki, Yuta Higuchi and Naomichi Weida and they finished in that order with a uh, landslide victory for Yuma Suzuki, Johnny and um, well yeah I think while we're uh, very appreciative of the, the quality of uh, Higuchi and his consistency in the centre of the park we know that uh, Yuma is, uh, is box office and I guess it's to nobody's surprise that their main man up front Yuma Suzuki has uh, taken a huge majority of uh, our patrons votes here. I guess that probably the only surprise is the fact that he usually finished with a lower percentage than you would expect, basically because of who, who he is. But I think that the 69%, like almost 70% of the vote, it kind of accurately reflects, you know, how important he's been as a player. We'll, we'll leave aside other other antics, but you know, 13 goals and five assists, and his quality, especially, but his heading, because that, that's something that Kashima really focused on, like cross balls into the box. But I think, yeah. He, his heading, his movement, his his leadership of that of that team, I think has has been excellent, and you know, I can't can't really fault anyone voting for him. That's that's who I voted for. I thought he's he's comfortably been the best player. Higuchi as well. He he leads um he leads J1 in assists this season with 12 assists, at three goals. Uh, again, he's key to the you know Antlers scoring goals from set plays and corners and things. So been a fa- fantastic signing these last two years and. Yeah, Ueda again unfortunately falls into the category of Kashimov had a reasonably strong defence this year, and even though he is the defensive leader, it, it tends to go down as a, as a unit. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for him; he didn't get any any votes. But I think he's been a been a very good addition for them this year. I'd probably just give a, a quick shout out to Pituka, who you mentioned scored scored the penalty. He's always that was a pre, pretty solid player, and and Kaishu Sano, who's come in this year and has just got his first call up to the Japan national team. That's been a, a very good signing. And maybe also uh, Anzai at fullback with his, his five assists again has been a been a solid solid player for them this year. But yeah, absolutely no 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 fault this year of uh, yeah Yuma Suzuki definitely I think Kashima's best player. Would you would you go along with that? Yeah, no no uh, qualms at all from me uh, with uh, yeah going along with the patrons on that one. And yeah, I echo your thoughts there. A deserved win for for Yuma. And um, yes, uh, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, how uh, Antlers finish off the season, and as we said, if they if they have a uh, an impact on uh, who eventually goes down to to J two. All right then, so um, whisper it, Johnny. But um, it turns out there aren't just uh, three teams involved in the dogfight with the two games remaining. Uh, your Gumbar Osaka side is uh, not safe from the drop with the two games left after a two uh, one home defeat against uh, Fukuoka on Saturday. Um, Gumba took the lead in the 13th minute through uh, Kwon Kyung Won, but uh, from there, uh, Fukuoka were able to turn the game around with the equaliser coming 40 seconds into the second half through uh, Yuya Yamagishi, who later saw a penalty saved 
by Masaki Higashiguchi. That's uh, two straight weeks now that Yamagishi has had spot kicks saved. Of course, uh, Shusaku Nishikawa caught his one uh, in the Levain Cup final last week. Uh, this was a comfortable save for Higashiguchi, who guessed right. But uh, at uh, 1-1, the, the game was finally decided in the 89th minute with a header into the top corner by Lukian to deflate things at the uh, Sweeter City Stadium, Johnny. It must have been a very flat for the uh, the home fans there as they uh, trudged out after uh, yet another home defeat. Yeah, yeah, this was a this was a kind of t- tough one to take because uh, as you say, we've we've slept walked back into to trouble, and uh, albeit it would take a kind of a strange sequence of results to to send us down, but still with two games to go, we, we still mathematically not. Not safe, and I'd have to say, as a as a fan, I think from this game, I would probably prefer to be two 0 down at half time, and then kind of come roaring back and fall just short, rather than what happened in this game, where we're they were pretty good, as good as we've been for a number of weeks in the, the first 45, which was was interesting because both uh, Jabali and, and Joanna Lana were were, were injured, and uh, Lavi and Dawan were were suspended, so. Um, Kwon Kyung Won was our only only foreign player, and it was quite interesting to see a, a number of players who who tend to maybe rely a bit on on Alano or Dawan Lavi, Jabali for for creativity. P- players took it upon themselves a bit more responsibility. You know, I, I don't know if Yuki Yamamoto smells bad or something, but they didn't seem to have Fukuoka player near him the whole first half. He was <laughs> conducting the, the orchestra, and then um, Masashi Suzuki he was back, and we we kept him away from from missing chances, and he was involved in the build up and. He, I think down the left side with with Meshino and Kurokawa and Yamamoto, that was that was quite a good outlet. So, um, yeah, Gamba played pr- pretty well, created a few chances. We got a bit of a let off. Um, I think about 30 or 40 seconds after taking the lead, uh, Yuzawa missed a missed a header, but I was I was quite happy going into the going into half time. And yeah, you know, I, I managed to watch the first half live, and then I watched the second half after the fact for for my sins. But you know, I think the Fukuoka brought on Wellington at half time and. Again, it's interesting because in, in the away game, it was the opposite. Gamba came back from a goal down to, to beat Fukuoka 2-1. And in that game, they brought on Wellington and Gamba were very good at, at winding him up and kind of, you know, he's got a bit of a temper, taking away from footballing matters. But but here, he didn't do an awful lot in terms of, like, he didn't score a goal. He wasn't great at shooting. He, he made a couple of mistakes with his touch and that. But just he got that physical presence and he really occupied defenders and Gamba just weren't alert to his danger, just sound asleep after after half time. No signs of the, the hangover we joked with with Daniel that, that Fukuoka might have. They were they were right up for it and they were one one after forty six minutes and then yeah, Gamba didn't really get going for the next ten minutes or so and yeah obviously there was there was a couple of penalty decisions, what well, one given, one not given and kind of spoke to Daniel on online and we we, we both agreed they kind of fall into what what John called you about the Yokohama FC decision, you know, you've seen them given. At Gamba, there was a there was a shot hit hit a hand, but I think it's kind of in the the shadow or the, the well, next to his, his body. And I have to say, I, I didn't think it was a penalty because I, I watched a, a J2 game last week. Obviously, there's no no VAR in J2, but it was Jeff Chiba against against Gumma, and it it was decided in a penalty like that. And even though Jeff had dominated the game, it, it felt a bit a bit hollow to have a penalty given for that. Likewise, I didn't really think the Fukuoka penalty was a penalty. It looks like Kono and Kurokawa, it's just a 50-50 coming together. The attacker has the incentive to fall, and he falls. And, yeah, the ref looks at VAR, and, yeah, he's only going to give one decision, but I don't think it's a particularly right one. So, Higashiguchi mm-hmm. save from, from Yamagishi, uh, I think, was justice was served. But then, you know, uh, 
talking about kind of redemption, Lucian, if we cast our mind back to 2019, he got sent off for Jubilo, I think, in the first 15 minutes for two yellow cards that down at that, that end of the field. So I think he might have felt he's, he's sort of laid a ghost to rest, maybe with that, that winning goal, but very, very frustrating for Gamba. I think the only thing I would say is that the last three games, they've lost by a solitary goal to, to teams in the top half. And you could make a case in any of those games they could have got something. So, I mean, you might say statistically the, the final two games, Hiroshima and Kobe, very, very difficult. But if they keep up this kind of form, take a point or points off one of those two teams, again, glass half empty VCL fans might be a bit a bit of trepidation that it's it's going to be that game, which yeah, I got my tickets for yesterday. And it was quite interesting because I logged on at 10 o'clock and I couldn't get in, um, which is very, very rare. I managed to get a ticket, but the... You know, if you, if you watch games at, at Panasonic Stadium, the, the, the stand opposite the main stand, to, to the right, you'll notice that's usually one of the, the most sparsely populated parts of the ground because I think it's a mixed area and our way fans can go there. Completely mm-hmm. sold out when I was on at like 10.02 yesterday. So you know, that, that, that's going to be a big game. And, and Gamba are currently the only team in in, uh, in the only team in Kansai who've won J1. And I think they'd very much like to keep it that way. So... But one of my friends is panicking, saying, I hope it's not the day that Visa are crown champions and Gamba are relegated. So, uh, I, I think one of those two things will happen, and I, I'm really hoping it's not a Gamba relegation. But, yeah, fair play to Fukuoka. They, they showed up. They had the job to do. They, they did it. Gamba, a lot of injuries. But as we've seen with Visel and, and Marinos, that's not really an excuse. You can still pull out good good results. And first 45 was very good. Second 45, not, not really. Not really at the races, I'm afraid. Yes, indeed. All right. So, um, I mean, yeah, there there have been signs of life. There have been flickers of, of, of good football and, as you said, uh, good halves of football at times. But, yeah, they just haven't been able to put uh, 90 minutes together, have they, Johnny, for, for quite a long time now. It's uh, five straight losses and uh, eight without a win. And as we've said, they're not mathematically safe with with two games to go. And, uh, yeah, two difficult-looking games on paper away at Hiroshima and home against Kobe to come. So, yeah, it would uh, – the, the house of cards would have to come crashing down in an absolutely astronomically unlikely way. But it is it is technically, mathematically possible that if Yokohama FC win both of their last two games – uh, Shonan lose to Yokohama FC but beat FC Tokyo on the final day and if uh, Kashiwa win well just one of their final two games uh, and Gumba lose both of theirs then that would see uh, Gumba potentially slip all the way to 18th and relegated but yeah the the prospects of that um, exact sequence of events happening I appreciate is, is extremely unlikely but uh, while it's mathematically possible yes uh, uh, I'm sure Danny Poyatos is uh, not sleeping especially well um, at that kind of uh, prospect, as un- as unlikely as it is. But um, they can uh, they can hopefully put in a 90 minute performance in in one of these final two games, and then that'll all be put to bed. But um, well, I mean, we've been saying that about Kashiwa for the last <laughs> two months anyway, haven't we, Johnny? So uh, we're waiting for these teams to to actually do it and uh, and seal their safety. We'll wait and see. And finally, on this game, we have to hand out some silverware 
for uh, Fukuoka and their player of the season. Of course, they've just won their fir- the club's just won their first ever piece of silverware, the Levain Cup. And uh, we had, um, yeah, quite a, a, a heated battle in the Patreon poll, Johnny, with uh, Yuya Yamagishi, Tatsuki Nara and uh, Douglas Grolly our uh, major combatants, and uh, it's uh, back-to-back wins, according to the patrons, for uh, for Yamagishi. His uh, penalty-taking is uh, does leave a little bit to be desired, but he's uh, well and truly uh, Fukuoka's uh, main man up front in terms of goals, and, um, yeah, his all-action play up front has been recognised by the patrons. Is that something you can go along with? Yeah, absolutely. But back-to-back wins and, and also back-to-back like t- ten-goal seasons, which is in- interestingly it's something he never did in, in his years in J2. But he's he's hit ten twice in, in two years for for Visper Fukuoka. I think yeah, he, he's a very very intelligent player. He played at centre forward obviously in the first half against Gamba last weekend, and then when Wellington came on, he can kind of drip off. Uh, he can he can kind of drop off to the, the inside forward position. Uh, very, very smart player. Good, good movement, good touch. It links up well with his, his teammates. So yeah, absolutely no, no problems at all with him, him winning. I think Nara and Grolly again, it, it kind of splits that, that defense. They've always got a very solid de- defense. And even you can see when other players have come in, like 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 Mia or, or Mikuni or before the Inoue, that they, they do manage to make, generally maintain that that, that solid defense. So. Nara, I think there was there was some rumours going about that Neil Debenham was uh, refereeing the game on on Saturday. The amount of fouls he got away with, but a very good very good leader, a very good defender, and yeah, I think he he can can deal with most of what what J1 attackers can can throw at him. But yeah, I'd have to go, I'd have to rubber stamp that that uh, Yamagishi would be their, their best player, and, and maybe just mention I think a couple other players. Idiguchi only started 16 games so far, and and Kono, I think maybe a bit of recency bias, and also. Uh, some of his best performances have been in cups, so they, they, they didn't make it. But I guess it shows the, the kind of depth that, that, that Fukuoka have got, that, that they had so many players potentially in the running for the award. But yeah, no no, no issue with, with Yamagishi getting it. Are, are you happy to rubber stamp that? Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, well said there on the, the uh, I guess, the uh, the honourable mentions in, in the form of Ideguchi and Kondo, who are uh, terrific and have been uh, at, at uh, large stretches of this season, but yes, they're not quite um, enough to to make our poll. But yes, well done again to Yuya Yamagishi, a back-to-back winner in the uh, the J Talk Player of the Season uh, award for Fukuoka. Okay, so uh, Gumba have 34 points after 32 games. So too do Kyoto. So they are not mathematically safe themselves, although their uh, vastly superior goal difference. To, uh, well, to Gumba and also to the other uh, three uh, dogfighters means that for all intents and purposes, uh, Kyoto are safe with the two games to go. Uh, they were a couple of minutes away from uh, mathematically sealing their safety uh, away at Kawasaki on Sunday. But uh, yes, we're pegged back by a, a second half stoppage time penalty from uh, Yasuto Wakizaka uh, in a game that finished 3-3, a uh, free scoring First half saw a Shinosuke Fukuda give Kyoto the lead in just the seventh minute, but then a Taisei Miyashiro equalised with a, a terrific first-time shot from inside the D in the 19th minute. Uh, Taichihara set up two goals for Yuta Toyokawa before the end of the first half, the first in the 42nd minute, and then in the first minute 
of uh, first half stoppage time. Uh, Kyoto led 3-1, but in the fifth minute of stoppage time, Miyashiro crossed from the right and Yu Kobayashi headed in from inside the six-yard box. So after the uh, first half came to an end, it was 3-2 to the visitors, Sanga. Then uh, late on, uh, Fukuda bundled Marcinho over in the box. Uh, the penalty was given and uh, sent down the middle by Wakizaka, and it finished 3-3 at Todoroki. So uh, I guess, yeah, Kyoto are sleepwalking to the finish line as well, Johnny, and they will have been uh, frustrated to uh, to not mathematically seal their safety there uh, away at Kawasaki, especially after uh, they scored uh, such uh, terrific goals in, in the first half of this game. Yeah, I guess you could, you could argue it's two two teams who are sleepwalking to the finish because because well that's true yeah <laughs> they're in danger of slipping into the the bottom half but yeah this was absolute madness in the, the first half yeah what, what wonderful strikes for for both the the first goal and then the equalizer and then yeah Hara setting up to- Toyokawa so that's I think Toyokawa's got four in his last four uh, outings for Kyoto nine for the season. Hara's been a, been an excellent addition. I, I don't know his exact contract situation, but you'd imagine there'd be a few clubs sniffing around him, a, a tall player like that with the, the mobility he, he has. To, Toyokawa as well. I know he wasn't great in the latter days at, at Cerezo, but uh, you might, if you're if you're a Kyoto fan, you might be a bit worried. You're, you might be fending off bids for for a couple of your star players. But yeah, really, really good for Kyoto. They were in dreamland to get, get 3-1 up away to Kawasaki, but then after that they were very much went into a defensive shell. They only had one shot and goal after going 3-1 up versus 11 for, for Frontale, and I think in the second half the, the goal lived a bit of a charmed life. I think Ota put a couple of saves from, from Kobayashi, and there was a bit of a scramble. I think Toyokawa was involved in that in his, his, own, his own defensive area, so yeah, and it was a penalty. There's been a lot of contentious decisions this week, but I'm quite confident, having seen the replay, Fukuda brought down Marcinho, no, no questions asked. And again, a very cool penalty right down the middle, like like Caprini's from, from Wakizaka. Um, yeah, so I guess in a way, if you're a neutral, you're probably quite entertained by this game. But if you're a fan of either team, you probably didn't really get what you wanted. Frontale fans would have expected a win pre, pre-match. So nicking a draw at the end from a penalty is probably not what they imagined. And then if you're Kyoto... Dreamland at half time or just before half time, three one up to to give away that goal just before half time. I think was a bit of a bit of a blow. So yeah, they're edging towards safety. I don't really see them them going down. And Kawasaki, you know, that they're edging towards tenth place. They have to be very careful and stay stay in the top half. But yeah, entertainment for the neutrals nonetheless. Indeed. And so before we leave this game, our next player of the season award is for Frontale. Uh, I guess, Johnny, we, um, you know, we would try and come up with a few nominees for each club. Um, but I think we, we probably could have been forgiven for uh, for just listing one nominee for this award. And that is a Yasuto Wakizaka. As it was, um, he received 80 percent of the vote. Um, Taisei Miyashiro did manage to get 20, but uh, yeah, over the course of the season, uh, I, I don't think uh, anybody can uh, um, really have any complaints with this, uh, handing this uh, straight to Wakizaka, um, their, their most consistent performer over the uh, entire campaign that obviously has been, you know, f- affected by injuries to a number of key players and others who are either out of form or uh, past their primes. But uh, yes, uh, Wakizaka, well, for me, I'll, uh, I'll just go ahead and, and give my uh, two cents. He's, uh, he's the winner according to the patrons and uh, very much uh, according to myself as well. 
yeah, yeah, you, you know as, as well as me, there was a bit of umming and aahing about which which names to put on the frontali list, but yeah, I kind of felt a bit like a like a dictatorship. We could have put just Wakizaka there and rubber stamped it from there because you know, no one else pl- played enough or was consistent enough. I, I know Miyashiro, he got his goal and he's joint top scorer with with Wakizaka, but you know, he's been out of the team for a bit and he's, sometimes he's, he's not really impressed or he's, he's been a sub, but I think Wakizaka is kind of a an oasis of, of 2020-2021 Kawasaki in a kind of desert of what has been the 2023 season. So he started the year a bit slowly, but he's been, been in fine form the, the second half of the year and, and through the spring as well. So, yeah, absolutely landslide victory and, and likely so from, from Kawasaki's number 14, Yasto Wakizaka. Indeed. All right, so let's wrap things up from uh, match day 32 with a couple of uh, nil-nil draws. Uh, Johnny, up at the Sapporo Dome, Sapporo hosted... Hiroshima, um, yeah, it was uh, certainly an entertaining game, as the uh, Sapporo games uh, tend to be. Uh, Keisuke Osako, I think, warmed up for uh, Japan's two World Cup qualifiers. It was kept uh, quite busy by the uh, Sapporo attack, uh, while uh, I think the Sapporo keeper, Shun Takagi, might have got a little bit bored in the second half and decided to play a sweeper keeper there for a while. A uh, number of occasions he was uh, darting out of his box to, to head away potential Hiroshima danger. But, uh, yeah, nil-nil it finished. Again, uh, had an end-of-season feel to it, but more of a uh, free-flowing game uh, than, uh, yes, uh, uh, the uh, I think the board draw that we're going to finish the match day with. So uh, the the punters up at the Sapporo Dome, I think they, they got a decent value for money, even though there weren't any goals to show on, on the afternoon. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's quite interesting because if we, we cast our minds back right to the, the round one, that the reverse fixture officially finished nil-nil, although the Hiroshima did have the ball over the over the line, but wasn't given. But this is this is definitely not not the kind of fixture you'd imagine would would have two nil-nils associated with it. But the, the, there there we are. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of end of season fair. Hiroshima didn't didn't dominate all the stats as they usually do and. Yeah, I thought this was a decent chance for them to close in on, on Urawa, who obviously had a difficult game, but they, they really failed to take the, the opportunity with a, a nil-nil. And I think Mutsuki Kato started, started up front, but you know, he, he left his shooting boots at home, no doubt for his, his inevitable goal against Gamba in a, a couple of weeks. But yeah, I'm sure that the supporter fans, are, you know, I don't have a ton to say about them. They're up to the 13th. They're, they're four points off their usual 10th place. So it looks unlikely they're going to build on that. It's, it's not been a great season for them, and yeah, interesting to see. Uh, I assume we'll keep Petrovic on board. I, I wouldn't be massively shocked if they if they changed course, but yeah, it remains to be seen. A bit been interesting winter there, and also at, at Hiroshima. Cause I think we'll, we'll come on to their their kind of player of the season. But uh, as as we can see, the nil nil here, and they've scored less goals than Nagoya. A new centre forward, I think, is it very much has to be on the the shopping list at, at Hiroshima ahead of opening their new stadium ne- next year. Yep, absolutely. So uh, let's hand out the uh, the Player of the Season award for Sun Frecce. And uh, I don't think to anybody's surprise that uh, Makoto Mitsuta uh, was the clear winner of the uh, the Patreon vote, uh, getting yeah, two-thirds of the votes cast by our patrons with uh, the previously mentioned Keisuke Osako and uh, Takumu Kawamura, the scorer of the ghost goal in uh, match day one that uh, Johnny's referenced there. 
coming in in third spot. So I think we saw over the course of the campaign how important Mitsuta is to Hiroshima Johnny they were uh, keeping pace with the uh, the top of the table while Mitsuta was in the team early doors then his absence through injury basically derailed Hiroshima's uh, title challenge and uh, even ACL push uh, to boot while uh, his uh, return in the uh, the latter stages of the year has coincided with uh, Hiroshima pushing back up the table so again I'll go first and you won't be surprised that I'll uh, be agreeing with the patrons it's Mitsuda a clear winner of this award for me yeah, I've, I think I've actually saved my best stat for last. Um, with Midster in the team, Hiroshima have 44 points in 21 games. With him out of the team, they had eight points in 11 games. So I think for that reason <laughs> and that reason alone, he, he has to be the, the landslide winner. Uh, I think Osako, maybe again basking the glory of the, the national team and also maybe eking out a few votes with his performance on, on Saturday to up to 25. Obviously, there was discussions backstage about, you know, because you can almost put in the, the Sam Frecci back three as, as a unit. It's very difficult to pick out. Is it Araki or Shiotani missed some games or Sasaki? And then even people like Yamasaki have come in. Um, I, I think there's a very solid back line, but difficult to pick someone someone out from. Um, I'd also maybe give a shout out to, to young uh, Shuto Nakano, who's come in from, from university this year. And he's he's finally made the right wing back position his own. But um, outside of that, you know, going forward, Douglas Vieira didn't get any any votes. He's he's mostly been a sub, him and Ezekiel, but they've they really helped to affect games. So I've never been his biggest fan, but I think he maybe deserved more than more than zero percent. But the, the fact that it was him and not not Pieros or, or Ben Khalifa, um, I, I think that really speaks volumes for for where things have gone wrong at, at Hiroshima. As good mm. as it has been, I think yeah, they, they absolutely need a new centre forward or a new approach of, of some sort um, to, to get them going and really challenging for the title ne- next season. But yeah, I, I, like you, I'm more than happy to, to rubber stamp uh, Midster as the Hiroshima's player of the season. All right, then. Terrific stuff. And uh, thanks for all the uh, the votes from our patrons in uh, yeah the last few days. And uh, we'll uh, be uh, putting six more clubs uh, before our patrons uh, in uh, in the next uh, week before we record our next episode and we'll uh, yeah give you those player of the season winners in uh, next week's episode so yeah the, the final game from the match day was at uh, Niigata Albert X hosted FC Tokyo this also finished uh, nil nil but uh, yeah it did lack the entertainment of the uh, the scoreless draw up at the Sapporo Dome uh, for uh, for an FC Tokyo perspective a, a good performance between the sticks by uh, Taishi Brandon Nozawa who um, I think probably had his best game as uh, Tokyo's number one keeper. But uh, Johnny, spare a thought for the uh, the hardy supporters who travel to watch FC Tokyo, uh, well, home and away, because uh, away from home this season, Tokyo have been absolutely abject. They have the uh, joint worst away record in J1, along with Yokohama FC. It's just 11 points taken from 16 games on the road, and uh, can you imagine just 10 goals scored away from Ajinomoto Stadium this season in the league for FC Tokyo? So, yeah, if you if you're one of those who travel up and down the country watching Tokyo away from home, well then, um, yeah, you uh, <laughs> yeah, I really feel you for you. Because, 
Yeah, I reckon, or or ten, yeah, because you you haven't had much to watch uh, this season. But I, I think uh, we can probably move on from this game. I don't imagine you have an especially uh, a special amount to say about Tokyo and, uh, and Niigata. Well, yeah, we've said how potentially dangerous they could be for Yokohama F Marinos when uh, the league resumes after the uh, the international break. But uh, yeah, I think we can park this nil nil and uh, finish the episode with a a brief. Uh, look ahead to the two Japan national team games, Johnny. Of course, the the World Cup qualifiers for the Samurai Blue uh, kick off in this international break with a home game against Myanmar and uh, a an away game against Syria. Uh, there have been a number of changes to Hajime Moriyasu's uh, initial squad uh, due to injuries uh, uh, over the, uh, the basically over the weekend, both uh, domestically and uh, over in Europe. So, uh, well, yeah, what's the state of things as we record on uh, on Monday night? I think it's four out, and uh, have have all four been replaced at this uh, at this point in time? Well, I, I will add the caveat: we've been recording for like over over two hours now, so I'm, it's something might have happened while we've been recording. <laughs> yeah. as, as far as I know, there's four out and three in is what I've seen. So. Maeda and Furuhashi, Kawabe and Atsuki Ito out. Uh, right. your, your old mate Tsuyoshi Watanabe is in, and Kaishu Sano and Mao Hosoya are all in. And I, I think that the, the original squad, Mitoma is obviously back, and Kamada and Doan were recalled after being rested. Yuki Soma is back, and then I think Itakura, Hashioka, Keito Nakamura, and Hatate are all out. I think due, due to injury, but I, I think still that the squad has the has the quality and experience. You know. You, You've got players like Tommy Asu's there, or Endo, um, Morita, Aotanaka, Mitoma, Kubo, Doan, Kamada, uh, Ueda. Yeah, there's plenty of plenty of quality there. I, I, it's meant it's it's meant to be quite cold and wet. I think maybe in in Suita on on Thursday night, which probably doesn't suit Japan particularly well. I, I doubt it will suit Myanmar, but you know, you've got to be looking to get off to, to a win with it with a few goals. Syria away in Jeddah is obviously completely different conditions to what will be at Suita, but yeah, again, there's no excuse for for Japan not taking six points from these two games and and yeah, get, getting it done nice and early, blowing these teams away with a bit, bit of pace, bit of movement, nice interchanging play, and then maybe using the second half to, to rest a few players because it is a long season as we we can see with you know these injuries and it's important to build to the the Asian Cup so. Um, I don't know how much we'll be able to see of these games live, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing who, who's playing, how Japan play, and, and hopefully two, two comfortable uh, Japanese victories. Indeed, although of course they do have a previous of slipping up in the, the first game of a new qualification campaign, don't they? So yeah, I'm sure Moriyasu will have his uh, squad as uh, best prepared as they can be for uh, the, the game against Myanmar, and uh, yes, the then the trip to, to Syria, which should be a an interesting test for the samurai blue and uh, yeah we'll uh, yeah we'll be discussing uh, hopefully both of those games in uh, in next week's episode uh, again uh, Johnny and I need to uh, organize our recording schedule for next week but uh, one thing we can tell you listeners that we'll definitely be covering the Myanmar game and we'll definitely have all six of our next set of uh, player of the season awards uh, ready to roll for you on next week's episode. So, Johnny, well, yeah, what a uh, weekend it was in the top flight at both ends of the table. Um, yeah, drama at uh, pretty much every ground, except for uh, Niigata, of course. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we weren't going to chat about that game anymore, were we? But, uh, yeah, uh, tremendous stuff and sets us up, obviously, for uh, what should be, um, well, it goes without saying, an absolutely fascinating 
last couple of match days. So, uh, yeah, that's all still to come, obviously, but look forward to chatting with you about the national team in the next week's episode. Yeah, I've been complaining a lot about all these these gap weeks, but I think after all the drama this week, I, I probably need a need a week off to to recover. Just just a couple of games to to, to look at this week. So yeah, absolutely. Round thirty three is going to be an absolute barnstormer, and I'm sure we'll, we'll preview it a bit more next week, and then we'll get into it in a couple of weeks. So very much looking forward to that. And yeah, th- thanks very much, Ben. I'll, I'll speak to you next week. Great stuff. All right, then. So that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank uh, John Steele for his time in part two of this episode. And again, listeners, uh, look out for the new episode of uh, J Tet dropping later on in the week, covering the uh, the final day of the the J2 season and of course the J3 with Mike as well. Uh, we'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon and we'd like to thank you listeners for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to chat about the Samurai Blues World Cup qualifiers. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.